covenant versus contract. You know, God is a covenant God. The Bible is a covenant book, and we are a covenant people. God operates in our lives in the basis of covenant. In the Old Testament, the uh, Old Covenant, we could say, we see the sacrifice of animals. This is the Old Covenant, the sacrifice of animals to cover for our sin. The sprinkling of those animals was the atonement for the wrong things that people did. In this Old Covenant, the sacrifice of animals covered, covered our sin. Covenant. Now there's several big covenants in the Old Testament. I want to walk you through just a, a few of them quickly. First of all, we can see uh, the covenant that God had with Noah. God enters a formal relationship with Noah and all of the living creatures there that despite humanity's evil, God issues a covenant that he will never again destroy them. Rather, he will preserve the world as he works towards fulfilling the promises of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, which is, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between her offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This verse speaks of, of God's interaction, uh, God's speaking to Satan and Eve at this point. Basically, uh, God says, hey, hey uh, devil, um, the woman is going to have offspring, and that offspring we know as Jesus will strike your head devil. The, the kill shot. And devil, you will strike his heel. Not, not a kill shot. So this is the covenant. It is the rescuing of humanity and creation, creation through the offspring of the woman. The covenant that God gave to Noah, through Noah, we see in the form of a rainbow, a sign. And then there's the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. God promises Abraham a huge family that will inherit a promised piece of land in Canaan and bring universal blessing to all humanity through his family. That covenant is of offspring and of land and of universal blessing. Then we see the Davidic, actually the, the Mosaic covenant. God rescues Israel from slavery with Moses in Egypt and promises to make them his own treasured possession, a holy and a set-apart nation. He will personally dwell in their midst 
midst and bring them into the promised land, God, he will be their God, and they, Israel, will be his people. Moreover, they will be a kingdom of priests that will mediate his goodness and his glory to all nations. It's really an epic role in redemptive history. We see that the sacrifice of animals, the offering of, of that blood flow to, to complete, to play a part in these covenants. Then the covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant, God establishes David as king over Israel, and he promises to make his name great. He'll give David a royal kingdom in which the promises made to Abraham and Israel will be fulfilled through David's lineage. God will raise up a descendant of David who will build a house for the Lord and his throne, and his kingdom will last forever. God's steadfast love will never depart from this descendant, we know that this is Jesus. You may have noticed in uh, most of these covenants of the Old Testament, the people didn't perfectly live up to their part with God. <coughs> so why did they benefit from these covenants? Why did they benefit from them? They didn't perfectly live up to them. You know, we get confused about this. And I think it's the way we look at it. It's because we are thinking in terms of contract rather than covenant. I think our minds are geared this way. Because much of our daily lives uh, depends on on contracts. Much of our dealings is contract. Think about it. Your, your employment, that depends on the contract. Uh, you agreed to work for a set amount of hours and they would give you a set amount of money that you would get for working those hours if you don't work that many hours or if they don't pay you, if they decide not to pay you, then things change. The contract can go out the window. You use a contract for your utilities, and if you don't get uh, get the electricity that you pay for, then you, know, you do something about it. Your mortgage or any kind of a loan, maybe you have, or you sign a contract. And if you stop paying for your car, then they come and get it, the contract goes out the window. The point is, with a contract, you sign and you get. You pay and you get. You work and you get. And without even thinking about it, you probably even carry out your friendships on a contract basis. Just because that's how our minds are geared. You know, uh, we can be friends as, as long as you're a Chiefs fan. <laughs> Steve's wearing a Chiefs t-shirt back there. As long as you uh, root for the right team. 
As long as you uh, treat me a certain way, we can be friends. I'll be your friend. You know, we can hang out as long as you're cool, or as long as you're doing well. Sometimes that's how we that's how we do church. You know, I'll go to church here or there. Maybe this has been in your past. Uh, as, as long as they're uh, playing the kind of music that I like. As long as the preacher is preaching the style I like. Sometimes we do this um, with God. Uh, if God, if you give me this and that, or if you treat me well, then uh, I'll believe in you. I'll have a relationship with you. But but if things don't go well, if I don't be blessed, if, if I lose this and that, then I'm not going to believe in you, God. In our modern-day culture, this would probably be called canceling, cancel culture. So we can just uh, find something that we don't like or we don't like it, and we just cancel it. Like, it's just, we just make it go away. We tear the contract, and it's done out of our lives, out of our mind, we can just cancel it. That's what the contract idea is. The focus of a contract is on receiving what we get. But in a covenant, in terms of a covenant, the focus is on giving. Instead of receiving, it's on giving. A contract is good as long as the agreement is kept, but uh, contrarily, <coughs> is that a word? But on, in other words, a covenant is a commitment to give out of love for the long haul. It's to give. So since, since 33 A.D., there's been a new way, a new covenant. And this covenant isn't the sacrifice of just an animal, of just a lamb, but rather the sacrifice of the lamb of God. And this covenant covered the sins for all mankind if they would accept it. God's covenant through Jesus, the new covenant, is this. God loved the world. He gave his only sons so that everyone would believe in him. And if they did, they wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. <coughs> Luke chapter 22, verse 20, says this. The cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We know that this verse because we read it oftentimes when we're taking communion. A new covenant between God and his people. An agreement Confirmed by not the blood of an animal, but the blood of Jesus. Poured out as a sacrifice. God loved the world 
gave his only son so that everyone who believed in him, well, not just some, but everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can, can, come, can come to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There's no shortcut, uh, no way that we can work our way there except through Jesus. And by the way, this new covenant that God issues through the gift of the sacrifice <coughs> of His Son, it lasts forever. It is eternal. Eternal life is what Jesus says that He gives covenant. Now the Greek word for covenant means to be glued together, to be bonded, to be joined. It's acceptable to have a contract relationship with your cell phone provider. But listen, in the areas in which God relates to us are by no means acceptable areas to operate under a contract. Now let me clarify this. Let me clarify. Scripture says that we are God's children. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. God is a Father no matter what we do. And God the Father, if God is the Father, then we are the children. Jesus tells the parable of the, the prodigal son, a story about a father whose arms are open no matter what the son has done. The father is ready to receive him. This is the kind of father that God and his son Jesus Tell about, uh, think about the thief on the cross. God loved him, even though he wasn't perfect and he hadn't lived a good life. He was there for some reason, uh, probably deserving the punishment that he was there for. But the Father's arms were open to him. God doesn't have a contract with us saying that if we screw up, He's done with us. There is no such thing. The new covenant is that He did what it takes. His arms are always open wide. Sometimes we run from these arms that are open wide to us. Sometimes we run from them, we get away from them, Sometimes we fight against God. There are consequences. Oh, there are consequences when we fight against God. and They're brought upon usually by the actions that we do. You know, I, I've never met a man that I was afraid of more than my father. 
Now let me explain that. You know, my relationship with my dad is good. My dad and I are great. When I was a kid, he protected me from others. There was no reason for me to fear any other man when I was a kid because my dad protected me. And I knew that when I got out of line, he was the one that would put me back in line. He would line me out. In this way, we are to love our children covenantly. Covenantly. God gives us this example. We keep our arms wide open and we don't give up on them. When they are young, we don't stop taking care of them. We let them know that there are consequences and make them face those consequences and we discipline them and we love them. We are God's children and he takes care of us. Now here's another way in which God relates to us. Uh, Christ is the bridegroom of the church. John chapter 3 verse 29 through 30 it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is John the Baptist speaking here. He calls Jesus the bridegroom. And John's disciples this point were uh, possibly getting a little jealous that all the people were starting to go to Jesus to get baptized instead of John. And John tells them, listen, Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the only uh, one that you will, uh, that will be the Messiah. And I'm only his friend. And I'm very happy to be in that position. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, and that is Christ. This verse further outlines how Jesus plays the part of the bridegroom and the church as his bride. And then further on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Notice that in these verses, the focus is on giving. Is on giving. Our relationships, in specific, our marriages, are to be a covenant relationship. Now, Maybe y'all knew when I started talking about covenants that I would uh, work in marriage and start to talk about that. Now, some of you uh, didn't want to listen to me preach about marriage because uh, you think your situation is hopeless, right? Uh, why even work on it? Um, it's difficult. Some of you didn't want to listen to me because um, when uh, we know uh, what you think, what do I know about marriage? Uh, you know, I stick my foot in my mouth all the time whenever I say something about my wife up here. And, uh, yeah. And some of you uh, think, uh, well, why do I want to listen to him 
uh, talk about marriage because I'm not married. Well, first of all, uh, to those of you who think your situation is hopeless, it's, it's not. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us to have faith. This faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Maybe you cannot see hope in your relationship. Maybe you don't understand how it can ever work out. You're at that point. But faith shows the reality of what we hope for. And then for those of you that think, uh, well, what's he know about marriage? That's right. Uh, I'm learning here with you guys, and that's why we learn from God's Word, not from me. Thirdly, uh, if you're not married, I'm willing to bet that you know someone who is married, uh, whether it's your children or your, your uh, parents or your friends. Uh, someone that you know is married, and they will struggle in their marriage. Also, the relationship between Jesus and us, the church, is illustrated through marriage. And if we are to understand that relationship, then it's, it's easier for us, it's good for us to know what the Bible says about marriage. Yes, all of us can benefit from learning about how God's new covenant through Jesus relates to how we hold our covenants to each other, especially in marriage. Why do a lot of marriages fail? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. I don't want to list them all. I, I, think, I, I think one of them, uh, one of the reasons that we see a lot of marriages failing is that we operate them around a contract. Now, I'm talking about marriages in general here. I know most of you guys, I didn't leave a, a fourth option there. Most of you guys don't care to hear it from me because your marriages are perfect, right? My marriage is the only one that's not so perfect. Um, if, if that's the case, then I don't know what to tell you. But uh, in general, in America, more than 50% of marriages fail. There's a lot of reasons for this, but I think... I think it's too easy to get married. I think I think it's too easy. You know, you can go to the courthouse and sign a contract and get married. Probably the only documents that you have to provide there is a driver's license and a CDC vaccine card. <laughs> it's a little more difficult than that. But just the idea of how easy it is for a lot of folks to get married. It, it, the idea of a contract is just flirting with being uh, broken. A contract. We think a piece of paper that you sign, and that piece of paper can be ripped, wadded up, and thrown in the trash. <coughs> when I don't get what I want out of this contract, we'll just do away with it. A covenant relationship, though, covenant is focused on giving. This is why uh, pastors, they do premarital counseling. They uh, warm you up to the idea that you will be giving. It's a biblical covenant. You know, we're going
going to have to give in our marriages is probably the biggest thing that you're going to have to give. Uh, the, probably the biggest thing is love. Now, that sounds, you know, normal. yeah, I, I knew that. I knew that, right? Uh, you know, I, I love my, my wife. Men, you might say that I, I, I have a house for them. I, I provide for them. I, I keep them. I, I give them things. Um, they're doing all right because I've loved them. And now, uh, wait a second. Uh, hold on there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, again, says, this means to love your wife, just as Christ loved the church. Just as he gave his life up for the church. Uh, not because she deserved it. Uh, not because she asked for it and then explained exactly how she wanted to be loved. Jesus gave up his life for the church, for us, while we were undeserving. He died for us while we were unlovable. Unlovable. That's a, that's a bad word. I I should probably put soap in my mouth right now just for saying that word. I hate that word. I had a dream this past week. And in this dream, and it's, it's not clear, but there was a person inside of a concrete jail cell. The person didn't have on enough clothes to keep warm, and I don't know if it was an adult, a child, it wasn't that clear, but... The person needed love. And it was cold and on the floor, nothing there to keep him warm and sad. And I had this strong desire in this dream to just love that person because that's what they needed. You know, just the dream in itself, if the person was in a jail cell, not sure what they were there for. They need love. You know, we would all love a small child, right? Our hearts go out to, to the little children. We want to take care of them. Uh, give them what they need. Um, that's easy. It's easy for us to love uh, small, uh, defenseless, harmless things. Like baby animals. Anybody like baby animals? They're sweet and soft and cuddly. Uh, when I was a kid, I was always finding all the little baby animals I could find. And my dad always told me, uh, I was going to bite the snot out of you. <laughs> uh, no matter how I could. And, and I just loved baby animals because they were lovely, lovable. And then, and then one day, uh, I got the snot bit out of me. And surprisingly... It wasn't from a wild animal. It was from one of the little animals that I took care of and loved. A domestic animal. It was a hamster that I had. I took care of his hamster. Somehow he got out of his cage and, and got washed out of the house with the soapy uh, wash water. He got, he got thrown out of the wash water anyway. And he was all uh, wet and soapy and sudsed up. And I found him outside and I scooped him up to take care of him because I wanted to love him and he nailed me. He bit snot out of me, I guess you'd say. Ouch! 
Listen, sometimes in marriage, we bite the snot out of each other. And when, when we get bit by the person whom we should love the most, we think, ah, that person is not so defenseless anymore. That person is not harmless like I thought. And loving them isn't so easy anymore. You start thinking about that contract being bitten was a part of that contract. And without even really knowing it, in your mind, your spouse begins to fall under the category of that bad word. Unlovable. And you don't come to terms with it in your mind right at first, but it starts to go that direction. Maybe you don't think that person is completely unlovable, but by you, because you don't know how to love them, and you've tried, and it didn't work because they bit you. Check out this. See here, the word unlovable is not in Jesus' vocabulary. It's not in his heart, and it's not in his personality. Think about the Apostle Paul. Jesus loved the Apostle Paul while Paul was biting Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus through his followers, and Jesus still loved him. Think about Matthew the tax collector biting Jesus, and, and Jesus still loved him. Or, or the woman at the well, living in a, a situation that was opposite of what God wanted, and yet Jesus still loved her. We get bit. We get bit by the person whom we should love the most. By the way, we should, we should love Jesus the most, right? But, but uh, uh, Jesus, he, he doesn't bite. Well, well, actually, Jesus, Jesus does, does bite Satan. Remember the verse that we read at first, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Um, it says that, uh, that, that Jesus will strike the head of the devil, and Satan will strike the heel. So I guess Jesus does <coughs> bite the kill shot to, to Satan. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28-29. It says, in the same way... Husbands ought to love their wives as they have loved their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Now, uh, Paul sometimes loses me. I'm, I'm not sure what Paul was talking about. Love their wives as their own bodies. I'm not usually a big fan of myself. I don't know about you, but if I love my wife like I love my own body, I mean, I'm 140 pounds, dripping wet, and I can't grow any hair on the top of my head. I'm just not a fan of myself. So how am I supposed to love 
my wife like that? Well, maybe you're saying that. There's two things. Number one, God made every one of us. That's including yourself, if you're not a fan of yourself. God made you. Don't dislike yourself. Number, number two, uh, you know, I'm going to feed myself. And I'm going to do what it takes to keep myself healthy. And I think probably you will, for the most part, as well. Uh, because uh, being sick is a bummer, right? Getting hurt, being laid up is a bummer. Nobody wants to be that. So we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to do what it takes to uh, do what we have to do physically. You know, give what it takes to keep your marriage healthy as well. Now feed it. Man, if you don't feed your body, if you don't keep your body healthy, it ain't good for nothing. You can't work to take care of folks. And that's not God's plan for you. If you don't feed your marriage and keep it healthy, then it's not going to be good. And that's not God's plan for the covenant of marriage. He wants it to be a powerful and a productive institution. And you know this already. When a wife and husband are doing well together, they can get a, a lot accomplished. But when they are not, nothing good really happens. Nothing good comes when your relationship is not going well. And things can go from good to bad real fast in a marriage. So fast, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't always make sense. Paul says uh, that it is a mystery. In the same chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 31 through 32, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, this is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Are one. You leave a relationship in which you are on the receiving end with your folks. When you are a child, they give to you. They feed you. They take care of you. And you're on the receiving end. You are getting. And then you step into a relationship in a marriage and you're ready to receive. You know, we'll give too, but receiving is what we're looking forward to in marriage. So how is it that, how is this relationship that we are supposed to have between two people when we are not perfect, how is this supposed to illustrate Christ and his church? Especially when we, as married people, uh, we bite the snot out of each other when we get a chance. How is this supposed to illustrate Jesus' love for the church? Well, number one, Paul says it's a great mystery. It's a great mystery. But the illustration is supposed to work. Are you doing your part to show how Jesus loves the church? One last thing. Remember when you were small and you had your favorite TV show or your favorite book uh, that you liked to read and it was, it was 
the story, and you get together with your friends or your cousins or your siblings, and uh, you always wanted to be that main character, the hero, <clears throat> and uh, you didn't want to be the second guy. For, for me, uh, it was Marshall Dillon. I always wanted to be Marshall Dillon because he always was the fastest gun and always got the girl and, and had the right things to say. And we would fight over who got to be Marshall Dillon because nobody wanted to be Festus, the deputy, because I can't even make a face like one eye is bigger than the other. I couldn't look like him anyway. I wanted to be Marshall Dillon in your marriages, in any of your relationships, actually. Always strive to be Jesus. You know, I don't think you need to physically or uh, verbally fight with your wife or your husband who gets to be Jesus this time. But in your mind, be geared that way. This time, I want to be Jesus. Every time, strive to be Jesus in your relationships. Jesus gives. Jesus gives love even when he is bitten. It works. It works because scripture says it does. God gave so much love that his son died on the cross. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I plead with you today in all of your relationships, especially in your marriages, live them out in a covenant fashion, not in a contract fashion. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this word that you've given to us through the writings of the Apostle Paul and through the word of your son Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will help us to give in our relationships, not expect to receive, Lord, but just to give love unconditionally, covenantly, to love your people. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages in this church and in this community so that we would provide the illustration that you meant for it too of how Jesus loves the church. We thank you for this word. I ask that you would bless the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>